took the um, chimney off of our roof. Our roof has damage. Our ceiling um, was damaged. We have water still coming in our house. I don't know how much trauma I could go through. Like, I don't know if this is gonna happen like every every other year. I can't live here. Like, for the sake of my sanity, I cannot go through this anymore. to the third episode of Engulfed, a podcast from the Maroon, Loyola University New Orleans' student-run newspaper about investigating instances of environmental injustice in Southeast Louisiana communities. This episode will dive into hurricane infrastructure and ask the age-old question, is Southeast Louisiana's infrastructure sustainable enough to endure the perils of climate change? Camry Rivers recalls storms intertwined throughout her childhood, Katrina, Gustav, Isaac, and a number of tropical storms. While these storms may have flooded her home, Rivers said she was not affected by a storm until Hurricane Ida struck eerily on the same day as Hurricane Katrina in August of 2021. The Maroon spoke with Rivers a few months after Hurricane Ida made landfall as a Category 4 storm and devastated her hometown of Laplace, Louisiana. The storm's 172-mile-per-hour winds and catastrophic flooding ravaged southeastern Louisiana's river and bayou parishes. My room has had to be gutted. Basically, the whole house has to be gutted. But nothing has started yet, so we're kind of living in a partially gutted house. And we've been trying to have the, you know, insurance companies to speed up the process, but everything's taking a long time. So I'm living in a half-gutted house at the moment. In September of 2021, we spoke with other commuter students who say that Hurricane Ida was not the first time their life has been upended by a storm. One student, also from Laplace, had already evacuated 10 times in their life and had three homes become uninhabitable from a storm. In Ida's aftermath, Rivers' time was split between dealing with the hurricane recovery process and her responsibilities as a college student. She had to return to school at a time when she says she was not mentally prepared. I personally feel like the school should have did more, especially with the commuter students, because personally, I wasn't mentally ready to come back to school the week they decided to come back, because I still, one was in Arkansas, and two, I didn't even know what our house looked like until we got home, and then they wanted to go on Zoom. I didn't have Wi-Fi. Amid an uptick of storms, Rivers feels nervous about the future. She questions how her house would fare in another hurricane and if her college would respond to displaced commuter students in the same way. It's kind of hard to try to study when you have a lot of things going on in the background in your house itself. And it's just very, gives me uneasiness, especially in the future. Maroon reporter Ava Archaria spoke with Edward Richards, LSU's Climate Change Law and Policy Program Director. He is currently researching climate change's impact on sea level rise and extreme weather events on coastal cities and ecological systems. Some of his work includes the Army Corps of Engineers' relation to Hurricane Katrina, the breaching of the levees, and societal impacts on climate anomalies in the last 50,000 years. An important point for 
uh, eastern, southeastern Louisiana, that we're on the Mississippi Delta, and that delta is built out into the Gulf of Mexico. The Gulf of Mexico, if you look at the world map, is a very constrained body of water. It's almost... Uh, it's almost like a, a, a bay because of the land mass of South America and, and Cuba. Um, and that means that it has some special properties that make hurricanes a bigger problem. Edward points out anomalies that cause hurricane impacts on the coast to be more devastating, like the fact that the Gulf of Mexico has only one tide a day instead of two. For this reason, sediment diversion from the Mississippi River Delta has built flat, low land on the coast. Consistent with the low tides, he says that marsh grass is also lower to the ground than most other wetlands, meaning Louisiana's wetlands provide less protection from devastating storms. This really low, flat delta allows the hurricane storm surge to move much, much more deeply in. whole coast offshore, what the, they call the reach, which is the slope of the offshore land, is very shallow. So you can go to the beach at Grand Isle and start wading out, and you can go quite a ways uh, before you're in over your head. That also increases the height of storm surge. Richards is also concerned with the state's existing infrastructure, especially given the reality of climate change. He expressed frustration over the way the state spends its money and says they are squandering money in useless coastal restoration schemes instead of dedicating that money towards resilient infrastructure. And more critically, they keep us from facing the need to move out of these areas. These low-lying areas in the face of sea level and already at catastrophic storm risk, uh, they're only going to get worse through time. Southeastern Louisiana's existing storm infrastructure, according to Richards, are faulty. They include levees that the federal government built and a few other small levee systems that are incapable of withstanding catastrophic storm surge. As sea level rises, Richards says these levee systems are becoming harder to maintain because they are degrading rather rapidly. But even before Katrina, he says, the levee system has been failing for centuries. If you were overlooking the east side of the city, around 17th Street, uh, where they had the flood walls, you could see that the flood walls were already failing. Water was leaking underneath them. Uh, the, the streets were buckling from the water being pushed under them. So it's an extensive process to maintain the levees. Uh, and that requires constant, diligent uh, maintenance. You know, something the Dutch do very well something that we just have no clue how to do in Louisiana. Before Katrina, there was a belief that since the last severe storm, which was in 1965 with Hurricane Betsy, New Orleans wouldn't flood again. But on August 29, 2005, Katrina made landfall as a Category 3 hurricane with sustained winds of 120 miles per hour. 10 to 28-foot storm surge devastated coastal southeastern Louisiana. And in New Orleans, more than 50 levees and flood wall locations were breached, inundating 80% of New Orleans and nearby parishes in flood water as much as 20 feet deep. The levees fail through time by subsiding 
you know, the ground just sinks and the top of the levee, as it gets closer to sea level, then, you know, what might have provided a 1% uh, risk per year protection um, will no longer provide that. Uh, just through the natural process of the levee sinking. The levees also need to maintain, be maintained. You have to keep trees from growing on them because if a tree grows into the levee and then blows over, it rips a hole in the levee. You have to keep burrowing animals under control. Uh, you know, animals that burrow into the levees provide pathways for water to get into the core of the levee, which weakens the levee. Um, you have to keep the grass mowed and you have to inspect the levees. The levee boards did not do, do this effectively before Katrina. Katrina is the most destructive and costliest storm to hit the United States, causing about $108 billion in damages. And it is one of the deadliest storms in U.S. history, contributing to over 1,500 deaths. All through the Ninth War, uh, if you were went through there after Katrina, you know there were the, the water lines were leaking until they shut them all off because as the houses floated loose and broke the lines, that whole network of water lines and sewers was torn up, and a lot of it had to be replaced, uh, which is very difficult, very expensive, and maybe most critically, pretty time-consuming. Adding on to what Richards describes as a shoddy levee system, he mentioned a power grid that is indefensible to windstorms like Hurricane Ida and Gustav. Intergy has not spent the money to build a hardened uh, distribution network, but in defense of Intergy, if it went to the Utilities Commission or the City Council and asked for the you know, necessary rate increases to pay for you know, rebuilding the power generation system, um, they get tremendous resistance. It's the same issues in California with PG&E and the fires. I mean, PG&E has certainly not been a, a good actor, but to have rebuilt all the power lines to deal with the fire issues would have made it prohibitively expensive to take power to those remote communities. And the same in Louisiana to cut. First thing you need to do would be trim a whole bunch of people's trees. You know, they love those old live oaks that they tear up the power lines. You'd have to trim trees. You'd have to put in, you know, concrete. You saw concrete towers instead of, you know, wooden poles. That costs a lot of money. And this is an environment where the city and the state Again, they don't like to have taxes. They don't like to spend money on prevention. Southeastern Louisiana is an environment where Richard says the local governments do not want to enforce the necessary taxes to spend money on prevention. But with unmaintained infrastructure and the unwillingness to pay for the cost to fix it, Richard's questions how Louisiana could even put up a fight against the threat of climate change. By nature, deltas subside and are subject to massive changes over time. And with climate change contributing to sea level rise, Southeast Louisiana land is disappearing at an astronomical rate. What sea level rise does is increases the relative rate of sea level uh, rise. I think the Gulf of Mexico is about, it's over five millimeters a year. It's higher than the global average. 
uh, that's getting close to the level at which, which salt marsh fails. But you add to that that there are large parts of the delta that also have, you know, as much as nine or ten millimeters a year of subsidence going. So those, that land is disappearing fast. One of the reasons they have to keep pumping sand at Grand Isle is Grand Isle is sinking. You know, it, it would be gone if it had, had sand pumped for 30 years. Scientists are still unsure how climate change affects hurricanes, whether it is the frequency of the storms or the strength. But one thing Richard says he knows for sure is that the length of a single storm has been increasing. The water gets hotter faster so you can have bigger storms earlier and later in the season. So just from just the odds are you're going to have more big storms because there's a, lar- a much bigger window for those storms to develop. Some may argue that southeastern Louisiana is already unlivable. And Richard says he would have agreed with those people if the federal government hadn't contributed to things like highly subsidized flood insurance or levee construction. To be honest, if the federal government hadn't gotten involved in this starting in the 1950s uh, and it was left to Louisiana, we would have pretty much depopulated New Orleans uh, and we would have built, we would have moved off the coast. If you look at the demographics, we've been moving off the coast since the 50s. Many of the students who talked with the Maroon last fall expressed doubts about their future living in southeastern Louisiana. One student fears that after decades of familial history, they will soon have to leave New Orleans due to the constant threat of detrimental storms. New Orleans is the only home that Loyola student Gabriel Lesser has ever known, and the only place where he says he has a strong connection to. But after Ida, he came to terms with the fact that this may not be his reality in the future. I think the kind of growing reality with New Orleans is that I mean, there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees that uh, about life, period. And there's no guarantees that, you know, that life here is going to be stable, that there will be any semblance of stability or normalcy. You know, you have to kind of get used to that fact. And, you know, that's an exhausting reality to live by. I'm sure as you can understand, like, Knowing that your home could be destroyed any other year, uh, it's not exactly a very optimistic outlook. Um, And so, you know, for me, it's like, I love living here. I love New Orleans. I've lived here basically my entire life, but I don't know how much trauma I could go through. Like, I don't know if this is going to happen like every every other year, I can't live here. Like for the sake of my sanity, I cannot go through this anymore. Richards paints the same dystopian image of southeastern Louisiana's future as the Loyola commuter students. And he says that Louisiana's trajectory as a state is worsened by what he calls the Detroit economic death spiral, a cycle of not being able to raise enough taxes to maintain services and infrastructure. In the case that they do enforce taxes, profitable businesses could end up leaving the state. Almost all of the effects of climate change are only really problems because people want expect status quo. And the climate has always changed on Earth, and Earth does not. Uh, but it does change the status quo, and it's going to make 
many places unlivable, either because they're flood, going to flood or they're going to get too hot. Uh, it's going to cause huge failures of crops in some places as, as it gets too hot and dry. That's going to lead to catastrophic, uh, probably civil wars, uh, refugee migrations. And there's, there's a lot of bad things that will happen with climate. But if there weren't people there, none of those would matter. listening to the third episode of Engulfed. Come back next time as the Maroon pieces together the impact of coastal erosion on Southeast Louisiana and how it's threatening Indigenous communities' way of life. Today's podcast was written and executive produced by Ray Walbert, edited by Brendan Heffernan, and reported on by Ava Archaria.